Good morning. Welcome to Life Church. I'm Aaron Cole, the senior pastor. It's great to see you today. Hopefully, you are enjoying this incredible weekend that we have in Wisconsin. Amen? No? Stanislavski, did I say that right? Where, wherever she is, right there. I said that right. I got enough Wisconsin in it. Terracotta? No? It's a joke. Sorry, folks. Sorry, sorry, sorry. It is really good to see you. And uh, I just want to just uh, say something before I get into the sermon today. To the message today. Next weekend, in case you don't know, gentlemen, is Mother's Day, right? So that means that for the mom, the wife, whatever in your life, next weekend is Mother's Day. So if you need help with that, I'll help you. Uh, but, uh, you know, whatever that gift is and, and lunch plans, brunch plans, all those, the next weekend is Mother's Day, right? Don't forget that. And, uh, and so uh, next weekend, uh, we've got a guest speaker who is the reason why you tolerate me for 51 weeks out of the year. It's the hostess with the mostest. My wife, Tammy, is going to be speaking as she does. Yeah, give her a big hand. Every year. And so I told her, I said, I'm going to have like a special video before you come up to speak of me. And I'm going to have Ava sing a song and just get you all snotted up. And then you can <laughs> preach and have a great time. Just teasing. But yeah, it's going to be a great weekend. Next weekend, we're going to celebrate not just moms, but all the ladies at Life Church. And so uh, be here, uh, bring uh, your moms, bring your uh, all the special lady in your life. Bring, we're just going to celebrate the value and the beauty of what God has blessed us with here at Life Church with, with all the moms, ladies, everyone. Tammy's going to give a great message as she does every year. So you don't want to miss that and, uh, and, be a part, and you want to be a part of that. You don't have to hear me and put up with me, which is a great thing. Kevin Nash, don't say anything right now. And so it's a good day. It's a good day at Life Church. So we're concluding this series today uh, on In the Valley. And I hope this has been of help to you. These sermons are all online. Uh, they're all free. Everything's open source. We don't charge anything for any of that kind of stuff. And so you can download. As they're on podcasts. They're on uh, video, uh, audio, whatever, however you want to do that. So you go to lifechurchwi.com. And uh, there they are. And we've been talking about life in the valley. That many times in church, uh, many times that I walk with the Lord, we'll talk about the mountaintop experiences. But God's really, he shows up, yes, on the mountaintop. It's in those miracle moments where the breakthrough happens and the miracle occurs and all that. But it's in those valleys where God really makes himself known. And we've talked about like the valley of depression and the valley of, of distraction. And, and we, we've, we've been walking through these various valleys this last several weeks. And so today I want to end this series as we talk about the valley of doubt. What do you do when you doubt your faith? Is that okay? Is God upset? Do I lose my salvation? Do I lose my place in heaven if I began to question or I have questions about the Bible or my faith in Christ? Is, how, how, how do I respond when I have that? Can, can I just help you? Everybody has questions. Jesus 
had questions about how God was doing what he was doing. And you go, that must seem sacrilegious. What are the words that he utters when he's suspended between heaven and earth, dying on the cross for your sins and my sins? When God turns his head because Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin for us, the Bible says that Jesus cries out in a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Where are you? Where are you in the middle of this? Where are you? I'm doing what you asked me to do. I am doing your will, and yet you have left me. That's what he's saying. If Jesus can ask that, then we can certainly ask it. He being our example, our great high priest, the one that walks in front of us, and the salvation, the savior of our soul. And so to have questions is is human. It's not a lack of spirituality, but how do you navigate that? How do you deal with that? How do you deal with doubt? So I want to go to a very famous passage in the New Testament, John's Gospel, chapter 20. John chapter 20. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. John chapter 20. If you don't have a Bible, it's going to be on the screen in just a minute when I get there. But I want to unpack these five or six verses uh, that, that deal with this question of doubt, especially when it comes to God, where are you? God, what are you doing? I just don't know if I can go this far. And some of you may be here today, and I believe there are many of you, that you're not followers of Christ. But you're here because somebody invited you. Maybe you lost a bet. I don't know. Maybe you're trying to get your, get your mom or your dad off your back or whatever it may be. And you really have some legitimate questions. I want you to understand something. Those are okay. And don't push those questions away. Don't suppress that. Let them rise to the surface. Questions don't, God, you're never going to ask God a question. And he's going to go, you know, I never thought of that. Or, oh, that's oh, a game changer. It, 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 this messes the whole thing up. No, 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 no. It, it, it's, 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 it's totally fine. The doubt, the questions of walking it out. I'll never forget someone that attends here regularly at Life Church, a Life Church member who was on a nine-month journey of just going, I just don't know if I can believe this. I just don't know. You're asking me, it's faith. You're asking me to trust in something I can't touch, I can't taste, I can't feel, I can't see in a tactile, physical way. It's, it's, it's a spiritual reality. I just don't, I just, and what about this in the Bible? And what about this in the Bible? And what about this? And I just don't understand where this is and where that is. And I mean, do I have to have like a degree in theology to be able to get this? And the answer is no. It's, it, it, but, but don't suppress the questions. Don't check your brains out at the door. Don't ever check your brains out at the door. God's big enough to handle your questions. He's big enough to handle your inquiries. He's big enough to be able to allow you to be able to. But, don't, but understand, sometimes the questions that we ask are not simple. Therefore, the answers are not going to be simple. And there's going to be complexities. Also understand that you're asking a God who has no beginning and he has no ending. So when eternity ends, which technically, theoretically, it never does, God will still be here. Before there ever was, God was. So you and I have a beginning and an ending. There is no graveyard for God. And so the reality is, is that we're finite, we're limited. And we, in our finiteness, are trying to reconcile things that are of infinitesimal proportion that are beyond our mental capacity sometimes and even our spiritual capacity to completely understand. So what do I do with that? Keep asking questions. Keep wrestling with it. Keep fighting it out. That's why Galatians 6, 9, and 10 says, don't become weary in well-doing for in due season, if you don't quit, you'll have a reward. 
keep wrestling it out, keep walking it out. I'm going to talk to you about why you should you keep wrestling it out and how you should wrestle it out and, and work it out. If you're a follower in Christ and things aren't going right, and you're really questioning, you're doubting some things, you're doubting where God is, this is going to be a great message to kind of help navigate that. So we're going to this passage of Scripture where Jesus has already died on the cross. He's risen from the grave. But one of the disciples, Thomas, has not yet seen him face to face since the resurrection. And the disciples are coming to Thomas and they're communicating to Thomas that they've seen Jesus. And I'm sure in Thomas's mind, he's thinking, well, if he's God, why, why, why did he miss me? Like, have you ever been there where everybody else gets to be a part of something, but you don't? You're like, well, maybe God, am I not important enough? Am I not spiritual enough? Am I not, you know, that so-and-so didn't pray over me? You know, so-and-so didn't, you know, they, they, I, I got missed on the email thread, right? I got whatever, you know, and our insecurity comes up. And so there's probably some of that in the humanity of it. And Thomas just basically goes, guys, I'm really struggling. In this portion, John begins to write and he communicates exactly what the struggle is. Let's read it together. John chapter 20, verse number 24. Now Thomas, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came the first time they saw him. Verse 25. And so the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. They're excited. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nail marks were and put my hand in his side, I will not believe. This can't go there, guys. I just, I, I just can't. Verse 26. And a week later, seven days he's in this doubt. Don't you just think Jesus could have shown up right then and there and go, here I am, Thomas. No. Seven days later, God's seldom early, never late, always right on time. Okay. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. And though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Verse 27. Then he said to Thomas. Now, notice Thomas hasn't asked a question. But he, being God, all-knowing, uh, understands the questions of his heart and understand what he said seven days before. Like, God, could you have been here a little earlier? This would help me, my anxiety. Uh, he said, put your finger here and see my hands and reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. And notice he doesn't scold them. He doesn't correct them. He, he shows up. Verse 28, Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. There's this moment of just complete faith becomes sight. It's a reality. Verse 29, then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Now look after the, the semicolon. Because, or and blessed are those who have not seen, that you and I, yet have believed. You know, there's an extra blessing for you and I that we have that the disciples didn't have. Because although we didn't touch the nail print pierced hands, and we didn't touch the side where he was, he was speared, yet we believe there's a blessing that comes with that belief. Why? Because it takes extra faith. It takes a little bit more because, again, we're such a tactile and, and physical world. So what's happening is, is Thomas is basically saying, look, unless I see it, I don't know that I can believe it. It's a conversation that happens sometimes theoretically in philosophical circles where the philosophy or the question is posed like this. Does the trees bend and shape the wind or do the wind bend and shape the trees? Because I can't see wind. I can't package wind. I can't 
cut down wind and turn it into lumber to build something of a concrete structure with it like I can a tree. But I can see when the trees began to, the, the leaves began to blow and I mean, they be, began to move and, and began to rustle. I, I, I can see that. I can hear the rustling of those trees. I can see the movement of those, those limbs. And, and what's causing it? Is it the tree that's moving the wind or is it the wind that's moving the trees? Well, you'd go, well, it's the wind moving the trees. Yeah, but how do you know that? You can't see it. You can't package it. It's not a tactile, physical element, but I can feel it. Ah. So there's something beyond a physical reality that happens to me emotionally, that happens to me spiritually, that gets kind of processed through internally so that it mentally registers into a physical reality into my life. And this is what Thomas is dealing with. I hear what you're saying. I sense that you're telling me the truth. But unless I can see the wind, unless I can see it, I just don't know that I can believe it. Because I can only really believe what I can see. And he's dealing with doubt. Now here's the reason why he's dealing with doubt. Is that Thomas has left the presence of Jesus. This is important to understand. This is how this works. Thomas has left the presence of Jesus. This is the journey. So Thomas has been with Jesus for three years. Thomas has eaten with him. He's walked with him. He's talked with him. He's interacted with him. He's prayed with him. He's gone to church with him. He's gone fishing with him. You know it's serious when you go fishing with somebody, right? I see Bruce Heiser here today. Bruce and I, well, Bruce used to take me fishing. He doesn't take me fishing anymore. And there's a story where he and I are on the Wisconsin River up in Merrill, Wisconsin, and we're in waders, and I get freaked out halfway through, and I, with my big 250 frame, go, Bruce, I can't get back. This, I feel like I'm about to slip, and the water's coming in, and it's freaking me out. And he's like, just, and then right in that moment, he looks at me and says, hey, if you fall and those waders get full, you could drown. <laughs> and I looked at Bruce, and I said, you're not helping me right now. And yeah, we got across the river, and there's other stories. I lost my shorts one time, too. That's a whole other story. I'm just saying, he's, Thomas has been with Jesus. He, he's been here. He's been in this whole deal. He, he, he's, he's had this. And now, all of a sudden, Jesus is taken away. And doubt begins to creep in. That's what happens. You, you come in on a weekend or you go to a service. You encounter God in this really amazing way where you, you just, you, you, you're with him and you sense him and you know, but you leave. And then life happens. Monday happens. Tuesday happens. Thursday. And all of a sudden, it's, you're away from it. And so then your mind begins to, and the enemy of your soul begins to, and maybe other people began to question, do you really, is that really true? Is that really real? Is that just some crutch that people people use for weak-minded, emotionally needy people? Is that what Christianity is? Did God really say that to you? Is that, was, was that indigestion? I mean, what, 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 really, how do you know? Again, is it the trees that are moving the wind or is the wind moving the trees? I, I just only believe what I can see. And what Thomas has done, he's separated from the presence of the Lord. He's separated from the physical reality of who Jesus is. And this is the first time in three years he's been away from Jesus. And he begins to just process in his mind. He's not wrong. He actually is kind of verbalizing some of the feelings that probably the other disciples were having prior to being able to physically see Jesus. See, 
This happens to us. When we begin to leave the presence of the Lord, it, it allows doubt to creep in. This isn't wrong. It's not unusual. And doubt is not a lack of spirituality, but it's the presence of your humanity. You're human. And so when you begin to have that distance, it creates a, a space where doubt can come in. Well, what, 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 what do I do? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. Let's just keep looking at what Thomas did. Thomas didn't settle for secondhand faith. Thomas didn't settle for secondhand faith. It's going to be on the screen in just a minute. Thomas didn't settle for secondhand faith. Thomas comes in and Thomas goes, I just need to experience it for myself. I just need to have an encounter with God for myself. I just, I, I hear what you're saying. I hear the sermon. I, I, I hear you, life group leader. I, I, I hear you, friend, but I just need to experience it for me. I just need to have it for me. I just need to have this experience for me. Look back at verse 25, and he says to the disciples, these are his friends, his compadres, guys he's been spending the last three years with. He says, you know, unless I see the nail marks in his hands, and unless I put my finger there and put my hand in his side, I will not believe. I've got to experience this for myself. I think this is so important. If you are praying for someone to come to faith in Christ and they're far away from God, give them the room and the space and the, and the, and the, and, and the, the margin to be able to question. Don't push down the questions. Don't give short answers, simple answers to complex issues. One of the greatest theological responses you can ever give to someone when it comes to an issue of theology is to go, we don't know. I don't know. Trust me, as a pastor, I want to be like super pastor, and I want to answer every question and, and deal with every issue, and occasionally I'll get people that will email me questions that, quite frankly, I can't write it out, or words on a page are very cold, and, I, and it would take me too long. I, it would take me about 10,000 words for me to really answer your, your three-sentence question that you have. Why? Because there's too many complexities to it. There are times I don't have the answer. I just don't know. Or I can give you a theological reason of why bad things happen to good people. But it doesn't help you. It doesn't change the matter. It doesn't, it doesn't meet the need that you're trying to. It doesn't reconcile it. And so the reality is, is that we need to allow people that are on this faith journey to have time. If you're here today and you're far away from God, don't ever feel rushed in that decision. Walk it out. Ask questions. Ask me, ask other staff members, get involved in a life group, begin to ask questions, begin to just walk because God needs to show up and he will show up in your world in a way in which you understand. You're in business, you're in finance. He's going to show up in your world in a way in which you understand. You're a homemaker. He's going to show up in your world in a way that you understand. You're a factory worker. He's going to show up in your way in a way you understand. You're a student. He's going to show up in your world in a way that you understand. And when he shows up, it will be undeniable. When he presents himself, it will be maybe completely unexplainable, but it will be completely undeniable because it's then that you realize it's not the tree that's moving the wind, but rather the wind that's moving the tree. And although I cannot see it and I cannot calculate it and I can't bottle it and sell it on the shelf at Walgreens, I know it's real because I have touched the hand, I've touched the side, and that hand has touched me. Parents. It's so important if you're raising your kids in the fear and the admonition of the Lord to raise them up to be followers of Jesus Christ. Give them room and space to ask questions. 
If you're sitting under private Christian school, let me help you. That will not teach them everything they need to know about an experience with Jesus. It will give them knowledge. And information is not transformational. It's application of informational that makes transformation. That's how it works. So is it wrong for me to send my kid to a Christian school? No, that's your business. What I'm saying to you is, is that they're going to have questions. They're going, and they're going to need a safe place to be able to ask those questions. That's one of the reasons why we do kids ministry and youth ministry. Because there need to be people that they can ask theological, not just theological, but life questions. Because theology is a reflection on who and what God is. It's a study on what, who and what God is. And quite frankly, by definition, everybody in this room is a theologian. You are contemplating mentally right now, what does it mean to be a follower of Christ? Who is God and how does he meet and work in your particular sphere of world of your life? So the reality is, is that we need to allow for our kids to ask questions. Millennials and the generation that follow, they just want to ask questions. They want to push back. And for you to say that's just the way it is, is, is quite frankly, is a very uneducated, very dumb response. In order to go, no, let's explore this. Let's understand this. Let's see this. And even as a parent to sometimes just go, I don't really know, but it's okay. Let's talk about this. Even if it's a biblical thing to go, I don't know, but let's get in it. Let's figure it allow them that space because they have going to have to make this relationship with Christ their own. Or it's not going to work. 70% of kids that grow up in evangelical churches, Protestant churches in North America, when they go graduate high school, leave the church. 70%. Why? They didn't have space and time to figure some things out. And some of them, when they're doing it, they're trying to figure it out. You have a child that one kid just is straight arrow, kind of gets it, that's it. Another kid, <laughs> they're a bit of a prodigal. Give that prodigal room and space to figure it out. It's just allowing for God to begin to work because God will show up. God will reveal himself, but there has to be this personal experience. Thomas doesn't settle for secondhand faith. That's how you begin to deal with the doubt. That's how you do, do that. And ultimately, here's what happens. Thomas stopped believing in Jesus and started believing Jesus. This is where it flips. Thomas stopped believing in Jesus and started believing Jesus. Thomas stopped believing in Jesus and started believing Jesus. Two different things. You ask somebody in Milwaukee, in Wisconsin, do you believe in Jesus? They'll say yes. Half drunk, beer in their hand, cigarette in the other hand, completely never gone, haven't been to church since they were dedicated, baptized as an infant, maybe a Christmas and Eve or Easter, possibly a Mother's Day, which is next weekend, gentlemen. Um, that's it. Why? Because we have a culture that basically says it's almost like getting a, a tetanus shot. We're going to inoculate you with the gospel, and we're going to make a choice for you as a parent. So if we dedicate you, baptize you, whatever, in church, confirm you, then you're going to be okay. And I'm not here to debate the theologies of that. But I'm here to say the better question isn't, do you believe in Jesus? But are you a personally devoted follower of Jesus Christ? I had this conversation with Stuart Briscoe. Uh, and Stuart said, when I came here from the UK and I began to pastor Elmbrook, I, began, I realized very quickly that everybody believed in Jesus, but very few people were disciples of Jesus. So instead of asking, do you believe in Jesus? Do you go to church? Because that's what they would tell me. That's, they thought church affiliation was a personal relationship with Christ, and it's not. I just began to ask them the question, do you, are you a disciple of Jesus? And at that point, it's like, whoa, 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 let's not get fanatical. I knew where they stood. 
you understand, County Stadium, the old County Stadium, was one of the, the only place in North America that when Billy Graham did his crusade here, they did not pack it out. Welcome to Milwaukee. D.L. Moody, the famed evangelist that, has a, that still has the, the great Moody Church downtown just a few blocks off Michigan Avenue in Chicago, uh, said that Milwaukee was the graveyard of evangelists. Why? Because everybody in, believes in Jesus. But really, not a lot of people really believe Jesus. You understand what I'm saying? There's a difference. So what happens is, is to this point, uh, uh, um, Thomas is, 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 is saying, look, man, I, I, uh, I believe in who Jesus is, and I believe in what Jesus said, and I believe all this, but, but I, I, I just don't know. I just don't. And, and when Jesus shows up in verse 27, and he says, I want you to put your finger in my hands and feel this. I want you to put it in my side, and, 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 reach, and I want you to stop doubting, and I want you to believe. Not believe in me, but believe me. Not believe about me, but believe me. Not believe in the church, but believe Jesus. Not believe in the pastor, but believe Jesus. Not believe in some denomination, but believe Jesus. And then in verse 28, immediately Thomas replies, you know, uh, my Lord and my God. And he tells him, because you've seen, because you've, you, you've touched me, you, you believe me. See, it's not about believing in something. It's believing that person. It's not believing in an ideology or in a theology or, or in a church. But it's a personal experience that lifts it to a whole other level. And today, you may be a person that believes in Jesus, but you don't believe him. And there's where doubt begins to creep in. Because there comes this point where you literally, in your faith, you go from, I'm not sure, I'm not sure, I'm not sure. And you may be a follower of Christ, but you're, you're new in your faith or whatever, or, or there's something that's rocked you. Quit believing in Jesus in the Bible and begin to believe Jesus. Go from it just being words on a page to being a personal experience. Go from being something that you kind of mentally assent to, but to, to being something that's completely integrated into your system. Let me give you an example of this. I'm a big, big, big fan uh, of Martin Luther King Jr. I, I probably have re read more on his life. This started back in high school. Um, have done more research, more academic papers and thesis and, 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 and written thousands of words on him than probably any other person uh, that, I, that I've done research on. And uh, there's, a, there's an account that uh, Pulitzer award-winning author David Garrow records his sentiment when this happens for him. Because what happens in the life of a Christ follower, it goes from being uh, something that you believe in to believing Jesus. And it records Luther's uh, experience from believing in Jesus to believing Jesus. When it goes from being words on a page to being a reality in his life. Now, at this point in time, it's, it's, uh, it's January 27, 1956, when he'll have this encounter. Uh, he has finished his doctorate. Uh, he's a young pastor, not in Atlanta, but he's in Montgomery, Alabama. And racial tension in the South is escalating. Rosa Parks has refused to go to the back of the bus, and there was all other kinds of political things happening. The NAACP were pushing on one side. You had the judicial branch of, of government, and, and, and Montgomery County was pushing on another side. You had local law enforcement. You had white bus owners. You had uh, uh, black business leaders. You had all of this, and everybody had a stake, and money's involved. Anytime there's politics and money, it's, it's all personal at that point. 
And he has kind of become, uh, unsolicitedly so, he's become as a local church pastor living in the parsonage, the church house right next to the church that the church owns. He has become kind of the, 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 the leader of all of this that's going on with this uh, public transportation busing boycott that's happening. And uh, he, uh, he writes this encounter. I want to read it for you. Gar- Garrow uh, records it, and he says this. He's just received a phone call, uh, very explicit, from a group, from, from some haters. And he said, we're, we're tired of you and your mess. Uh, if you're not out of this town in three days, we're going to blow your brains out and blow up your house. Thank you, God. That's why I came into the ministry. Amen. King had gotten death threats before, but this time something broke loose inside of him. Fearful and unable to sleep, he went to the kitchen and made a cup of coffee. And he sat down at the table to reflect. He said, I I started thinking about many things and I was ready to give up. He said, I sat there and thought about the beautiful little daughter who had just been born. And I'd come in night after night to see that little gentle smile. I I could, um, I, I, I ate at the table thinking that this little girl and thinking about the fact that she could be taken far away from me in a minute. I started thinking about a dedicated, devoted, and loyal wife who was there asleep. She could also be taken away from me or I could be taken away from her. I got to the point where I couldn't take it any longer. I was weak. Something said to me, you can't call on daddy now. He's up in Atlanta, 175 miles away. You can't even call on mama now. You've got to call on something that is the person that your daddy used to tell you about, the power that can make a way where there seems to be no way. At this point, King established that he needed to draw near more more deeply on his faith than ever before. King writes, I discovered then that religion had become real to me. It's that believing in Jesus to believe in Jesus that I had to know God for myself, and I bowed down over a cup of coffee. I will never forget it. I prayed a prayer, and I prayed out loud. That night, I said, Lord, I'm down here trying to do what's right, what I think is right. I think the cause that we represent is right. But, Lord, I must confess that I'm weak now. I'm faltering. I am losing my courage, and I cannot let the people see me like this because they will become weak and lose courage. And then King received his answer. He writes these words. And it seemed that in that moment, I could hear an inner voice saying to me, Martin Luther, stand up. Stand up for righteousness. Stand up. Stand up for justice. Stand up. Stand up for truth. And I will be with you, even to the end of the world. And I heard the voice of Jesus saying, still, fight on. He promised never to leave me, never to leave me alone. Never alone. Never alone. He promised to never leave me alone. Never, ever, never leave me alone. And almost at once, King said, my fears began to go. My uncertainty disappeared. And never again would he fear bombings or any other harm his adversaries could do to him. He'll go on to say three nights later, they did exactly what they said they were going to do. They bombed his house. It wouldn't be much longer he would give his last sermon in Memphis 
And he would talk about the calm and the peace that he had. Stating these famous words, I've been to the mountaintop and I've seen the promised land. And I may not be there with you, but I'm telling you of this promised land that God is taking us to. And that very next morning, leaving the hotel in downtown Memphis, he was assassinated. But he had this security, this certainty, this satisfaction. Because he had walked into this situation not just believing in Jesus, theoretically and theologically, but believing Jesus personally. Thomas had that same experience. Matter of fact, we go on and scholars tell us that Thomas would be the one that would take the gospel as a missionary to what's now known as India. And he would evangelize. But in doing so, he would be a martyr and he would actually die for his faith. How can you go from, unless I can see it, I can't believe it, to giving your life? Because there, because there becomes a moment in your life to a personal, real experience where you understand that the moving of the trees is not about the tree, it's about the wind. You understand that the wind is more powerful, that which you cannot see, than the tree, that which you can see. You understand that there's something beyond the tactical, physical nature of the world in which we live in. And that which is invisible becomes visible. Jesus reveals himself like he did to Martin Luther that night at his kitchen table like he did to Thomas that night having dinner with the disciples. He shows up and he says, touch my hands. Feel this. Let me see your hand, Thomas. Touch my side. Feel this. And then there is what, I love what Galatians says, and there's this peace that passes all understanding that just comes over you. There is this security in that moment to go, I know in whom I have believed and am persuaded. For he that is able, God, to keep me until that day. That nothing can separate me from the love of God. That nothing can happen in my world or in this world that God does not allow. And even though I don't understand everything. Even though I don't understand and I have questions, but I know that he, in his infinite wisdom, beyond my finite, limited understanding, is working all things out for my good. Doubt, it's okay. Questions, totally fine. I would encourage you, engage in the questions. Engage in the doubt. Get in the middle of it and wrestle it out. And don't let it go until you have that moment where you quit believing in Jesus and you begin to believe Jesus. Where there is something that happens in you, in your life, in a personal, in a real way that no one can take from you. Your personal experience with Christ. 
And if you're here today and you're far away from God, it is as simple as saying, Jesus, come into my heart and come into my life and be my Lord and be my Savior. I surrender myself to you. And if you're not there yet, just know there'll be a moment and a time where it'll all come together. And it's not about a magical incantation or formation of words, but it's from the heart that you believe and the mouth that you confess that you are saved, according to Romans chapter 9.